You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 183. Good morning! Uh, <laughs> the morning edition of Coding Blocks. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcast. And you're probably saying, like, how do you know it's morning when I'm listening? And I don't. But uh, if you can leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Yep, and you can visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And you want more Twitters? We got more Twitters. We got Twitters right at codingblocks. Uh, also, if you go to codingblocks.net, you can find all our dillies at the top of the page. With that, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm Alan Underwood. This episode is sponsored by Shortcut. You shouldn't have to project manage your project management. All right, so we are back with another chapter on site reliability engineering. Today we are talking about service level agreements, um, objectives, and uh, indicators. So before we get into that, I think Outlaw has some things that he wants to talk about that he's in love with here of, of late. <clears throat> well, I don't know why you guys started like that. <laughs> or not in love with maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was just more the idea of like, we've talked about the, the, the benefits of like monolithic repos before. So I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, meh, whatever, you know, cause I, I could see like some pros and cons to either. Right. But the current thing I've been working on has me like more and more and more, like even if you go monolithic repo, right? So, which can make a lot of sense. Like if your code needs to version together and whatnot, you know, there there's benefits to monolithic repo, uh, you know, different teams all using the same repo, right? If this stuff needs to version version together, but the monolithic build though, I hate, like just yeah. build the little pit, the little bits here and there as they, as they change and as they need to get built. And then you like compose them all together for the final thing for the final deliverable. You know, I can totally yeah. get behind that. Yeah. As your code base grows bigger, like the smaller percentage your code changes are likely to be right. So, you know, uh, if you've got a, a 20 gig repo, chances are you're not changing very much of that with every commit or every build. So building all of that every time is, uh, it's pretty nutty. Yeah. And if you have a 20 gig gig repo, we should talk cause that's cray cray. Yeah. Well, I mean, we even talked about this in the past. I think Murley was one of the ones who mentioned basil.io, right? Like there's, there's tools out there to help with this kind of thing. And yeah, doing, doing a massive build of everything in your thing every single time seems wrong just just like in fairness making it to where you have to deploy everything at the same time is wrong right like so (laughs) i I guess i guess that's my thing like i don't have any i i still believe that if it versions together then it should live in the same place i still believe in that because if you break that apart now you have to manage version compatibilities and and some sort of matrix of of how all that works, right? So that's hey, dependency what, dependency management is hard. It is. So so I'm I'm okay with the mono repo, but you don't just because it's in the same place doesn't mean you have to do everything every single time. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's basically like I, I was just curious to throw it out there to see if like anybody. Uh, else would have experiences where they would say, no, 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 here's the reason why monolithic builds rule and you should embrace them. And, you know, here's our experiences as to like, 
you know, how, how the mono build solved our problems. So, Hey, if you do have, uh, you know, some, some stories to share with that, you can, uh, throw some comments on this episode. You'll be able to find it at, uh, codingblocks.net slash episode 183. And, uh, you leave a comment, you get a chance to win the, the book or a physical copy of the book, unless you want the free online version or, I mean, Hey, maybe you want a Kindle version. So, Hey, and also we didn't get any reviews this last time or in, I think, I don't know. Is anybody out there? Anybody? Yeah, no, we like, got, we got, well, not this, not for this time, but we did get it last episode. Yeah. We got one last episode, but no comments either, man. Two, People. two, don't take away from them. <laughs> So somebody say hi, something, wave to us, virtually something. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. So dive in. Yeah. Let's get into this thing. So we're going to talk about slow today, right? Slow Mm -hmm. service level objectives. Um, Actually, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff that involve service level objectives because people, they even talk about it in the book. I'm sure you guys saw this where they're like, yeah, people just kind of use this as the, uh, like the de facto thing that they say, they might, they might say SLO, but they, they might've meant something else. Right. So we're actually going to talk about three different things. There's the SLI, which is a service level indicator and SLA, which I'm surprised they put this one second, but that's the service level agreement and the SLO, which is the service level objective. Well, I think we that's did right. that in our, in our notes. Cause in the book, it's not in that order. Is it not? Oh. Oops, I'm, su- I'm surprised I put it in that order. <laughs> and so what you're saying basically is like generally when people t- say service level objectives is like a blanket term. What they usually mean is like one of these other three SLI, SLA, or SLOs, uh, or maybe a collection of you know more than more than one. Totally. Yeah. So SLI is uh, the first one we have in the notes, <laughs> not alphabetically. In case you're wondering, uh, I does come after A in the uh, alphabet that I use anyway. Um, but service level indicators are a very well and carefully defined metric of some aspect of the service or system. Uh, so an example might be uh, response latency, maybe error rates, uh, system throughput, and uh, typically aggregated over some period of time. And the idea here is that uh, this is information that you can use to determine um you know, what am I trying to say? It, it's it kind of, they're health, they're indicators, right? So it's right. a, it's some sort of metric or number that gives you an indication of how your system is doing. Yeah. I mean, it's the quantitative thing that you can, that you can put your finger on, right? Like you can actually measure it. So, uh, I wanted to call out though, that one thing that you know, we've, we've said in the past that, uh, there was a lot of similarity, a lot of overlap between this book and the DevOps series that we've covered. Um, uh, be it the, the, uh, the, the DevOps handbook or what was the other one that, no, that was the, the big, uh, 12 factor app maybe, or no, I thought there was another one. Uh, it's coming, it'll come to me. Minimum CD, um, minimum viable CD. No, no, no. There, there was another one. It was like the big machine or something. I can't remember. Phoenix project. No. Um, uh, at any rate, the point is, is that, there in this specific section, as it relates to like indicators, objectives, and agreements, there is a lot of overlap in uh, the designing data intensive applications section. So it's like specifically, I think it was in like the maintainability um, uh, portion of the book. There was like some overlap, but this is coming at it from Google's perspective. So, uh, you know, some of these terms, if you listen to that series, then, you know, it, there might be like, you might, 
thing like, wait a minute, I've heard this term before. Where did I hear it? I will say this particular chapter I actually liked a lot. Excuse me. Especially coming from Google because they have so much data and they have so many services that they really had to focus in on what mattered. And I think that was super important. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into more of that a little bit later, but like, we'll wait for it because there's some stuff that I have comments on. Um, so, so one of the things that they pointed out here with the SLIs is there are things that are really easy to measure in a system, right? But sometimes it's not possible to measure exactly what you want with what you have in front of you, right? Like if you own the server farm or something, that's easy to do. But if, if let's say that you have a service and you're getting complaints from a customer, it might be that the client side is experiencing issues that you're not aware of. So that might be a little bit more difficult to measure. So sometimes you actually have to go outside of what your own purview is to, to try and measure things externally as well. Um, they also, one of their, they said probably the biggest SLI that they have is availability. Um, and what's interesting is we talked about this, I think on the last episode is Google doesn't necessarily, um, measure, uh, uptime the same way that other people do. So theirs is basically yield a ratio of the number of requests that succeeded, Versus the total number, right? That's how they do it so that they can measure things in different regions and all that. Yeah. I was curious. I, w- I went back to just find like where we did uh, cover this and it was in like episodes 121 and 122, I believe related to like scalability and maintainability. And we were talking about how like using your SLIs and SLOs as uh, like a measure to know like how to deal with scaling your, uh, your application and like, you know, defining like, well, let's do this by the numbers, but what does it mean by the numbers? And so like in, in this particular chapter where Google's talking about like the SLIs and, uh, you know, having those metrics, right. To know what that, you know, to even define what that SLI is to know that you're even doing it. Right. So the indicator might be like, uh, well, how long is, is a, uh, page taking to load or, uh, a query, like how many queries are you able to return, per you know second or whatever like you know those those might be your indicators doesn't you know that number by itself doesn't mean anything bad or good right and that's why you need to be able to capture it first and then trend it over time so that you can then know you know you can then make a decision as to like well hey we're we're doing good or we're doing bad or whatever you know like um and and you know going back to our conversations from the devops handbook about like the importance of visibility and observability and tracking and having those metrics and tracking those things. So like all of these things, all of these concepts that we've been talking about for years now, and it's like they're, they're tying together. Right. So from multiple different perspectives. Yeah. And I think, you know, that what you just hit on too is really important. When you hear SLI, that's basically your measurements, right? Like that's, if you're going to simplify things in your mind, this is the thing that actually goes and gets the numbers for you. What was my latency? What was my, um, number of requests that succeeded the ratio, all that. And so they, they even called out like for storage purposes. Um, it's more about durability, right? We talked about the number of nines and actually it's funny because I may have said something wrong on the last episode. I can't remember. I think I did. I think that I said 99.99 would have been two nines and that's wrong. It's, 
the number of nines, basically, if you take it away from a percent and just do the number of nines after the decimal, then that's how many nines it is, right? So 99.99% is the same thing as 0.9999. That's four nines. So um, we, there was actually a discussion on Slack around it. And I was like, I don't know what I said. <laughs> so, so yeah, whatever it was, it was probably wrong. So uh, clear that up a little bit. So if we take all these indicators, right? Like I said, like this is just random number, you know, like, uh, Hey, like how many new you like select count star of new users that have been created in like the last hour, right? Like that number means nothing by itself. Right. But you might have an, now you want to like take these numbers and put an objective on it to say like, well, I want that number to, you know, I never want my error rate to go above a certain number. Right. Or maybe I want, uh, you know, like think about it from like a sales or marketing point of view. Like I want new users, you know, coming to my page. I want like a certain number per hour or whatever, right? That might be their kind of objective. So this is where we take the indicators and now we start talking about service level objectives and how we can use those indicators. Yep. So, I mean, go ahead, Jay-Z. Look like you're going to say. I was going to say, yeah, one thing that was interesting is that they mentioned sometimes you'll have uh, like two ends. You'll have a, like, a, it'll be a range. So they'll, you'll have like a minimum and a maximum and you'll want your, uh, your service level objective to be in between those two numbers. I just thought it was kind of interesting because every example I could think of off the top of my head, like, is generally one side or the other. So it's like, you either want to be more than this or less than this. And I couldn't think of an example where you wanted to be right in the middle. Um, I think that goes along with what they were talking about, where you sort of have your internal SLO and then you have sort of your external SLO. So um, that range, I think, is is in between those two, like meaning, hey, internally, we want to we want all of our requests to be served within 200 milliseconds. Right. Um, But what we want for our, you know, our users in another department, we want them to never experience anything over, you know, 300 milliseconds. So as long as we're somewhere in that range, then we're good. I That could be the only thing that I could think of. But they, they did. It, it wasn't or. I mean, yeah, they, they mentioned. Uh, yeah, I was just pulled it up. Uh, they mentioned uh, like having a lower bound and upper bound, but they didn't give an example. The only game example they gave was for search, which you know, presumably you're fine with search being faster than whatever. So they didn't give an example of it. I just thought it was interesting. Mm. Yeah. So what they say in here is, yeah, they even say it is the range of values that you want to achieve with your SLI, right? So the latency would be one. Um, so they say a range. Um, yeah, I guess that you could say like we want our response time to be between 100 and 500 milliseconds. You're like, well, why wouldn't you want less than 100? It's like, well, that means we're paying too much. <laughs> we're working they too actually hard. did call that out later, right? Like, okay. um, it, it, uh, we'll get to that one too. Um, now here's here's one that was really interesting. As I said, choosing the SLOs can be difficult, um, mainly because you might not have any input into what it actually is, right? Like it's the business that might be driving what your SLO is. So, well, yeah, for latency, we just gave. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like that would go back to the example that I gave of like how many new users you want, right? Like you, you know, that's something for. You know, the, the business owners to decide it's out of your control. Yeah. And some of these might be out of your control and they actually like did call it out in some of these things too. Like, you know, um, like queries, for example, I mentioned queries as an example a moment ago related to search. 
Google has no control over like how many people actually start executing searches on their on their service. Uh, you know, that's going to be based on like popularity and, you know, whatever. But um, what they can control is like how many they can return within a given time frame. And so that's why they would target like the queries per second, not necessarily like, uh, you know, what trying, trying to like increase, they're not trying to increase the queries necessarily because that's out of their control. I don't know. That probably didn't make sense the way I said that. <laughs> Did it? No, no, I mean, you're right. You can't control at any given time. That's why they just try and make sure that their systems can handle a certain amount. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Said better. Yeah. yeah. You're right, dog. You're right. <laughs> it's all right. I think we mentioned it's morning time. Um, we yeah. all have the, the groggy, you know, voice sound right now. So, yeah. Uh, well, one thing they mentioned that I thought was interesting is, um, uh, or I just thought it was a good thing to call out was, um, that these SLIs aren't necessarily independent. So if you get more requests, for example, your latency might go up. And if you have multiple SLOs based on these, you might have like multiple alarms kind of going off at once because these things are, uh, related, correlated. So it reminded me of that scene in the movie, you know, where like someone's flying a plane and like every dial is just going nuts and everything's going wrong. And, uh, so it's kind of a funny example. And I've definitely seen that, you know, in production problems. Where like one little thing can kind of cause, cause a cascading failure there. And then, yeah, it just feels like everything, everything is blowing up. I've yeah. All seen that. I, I'm, I'm thinking of scenes from airplane. Yeah. Was exactly, that what you yeah. were thinking of? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Li- literally airplane. But you realize like that's such a dated reference though, too. Like I know, but you, I mean, that movie is really like predates all of us, anyways. But then on top of that, you know, anyone new listening is like, what that means? Yeah, what <laughs> rent it? <laughs> Wait, can you rent movies anymore? Yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, planes now they just have like iPad and you kind of <laughs> rotate it around like a Wii controller. <laughs> oh right. no, another dated. Ah, uh, so yeah. you can play Angry Birds. Oh wait, that's also dated. Dang it! Yeah. Dang it! Yeah, we're old. Um, yeah. So one thing that they mentioned here, and I love this, I, I absolutely love this, is the SLOs need to really have a realistic understanding of what the availability and the reliability of a system are so that they can actually publish that information so that you don't get claims that, oh, the system's slow or, oh, this isn't working. Because if you don't define these well enough, then that's what you're going to get your feedback. And that feedback is nearly useless, right? Like when somebody says, Oh, the system's not working. It's like, well, what part of it did, can you log in? Can you go to a page? Can you do this? Right? Like, so, so well-defined is helpful. Just the publishing of it is also kind of crazy. Like, have you ever, I've never worked in a, in a environment where, like, let's say that I was respond. I, I worked on the team responsible for like the front end of the website and another team was responsible for the back end of the website. We never, neither team ever, I've never worked in an environment where either team was like, okay, here's our expected uptime. And, uh, you know, what's yours? Like, right. I don't know, hundred percent. Like we can't, we, we need to keep the site running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but that's also the key too, though, is like, some of this is kind of interesting because, um, you know, when you work for like smaller companies, right. Then being down for that period of time, like that, that can be super, uh, costly to you. Right. Um, percentage wise is like, is in terms of like how much it impacts the, the operations of the, the company, right. Versus, you know, a much larger corporation. Sure. The dollar amount might be, you know, more for any kind of downtime, 
unplanned downtime, but, um, you know, they can, they can kind of like offset that a little bit better. So it's easier for them to say like, Hey, you know, we're going to have this planned downtime of this other percentage and, you know, we can accept that we can eat that. Right. Right. And, and so like, that's where maybe, you know, having been at smaller companies where it's like, no, 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 we, we need to stay up and running. We're always up. Yeah. So there's like a careful balance there of like, well, okay. Even in the the beginning of this book, Google was like, Hey, don't, don't follow this as a blueprint, right? This isn't going to be applicable to every company. Um, but you can, you can see what we did and see, you know, and apply it how, you know, how it works best for you. So there, there was a a chapter that we skipped, uh, on the podcast, chapter two, which talked about like Google internal services. And one of those services was named chubby. And, uh, I just wanted to mention that because like we're looking through the notes. I was like, wait, what? But, uh, there was a, a cool little, you know, kind of breakout in the book, which I normally hate breakouts. I know famously I've said this, but this one was good about uh, Google basically having this service chubby that uh, internal teams had grown to depend on. And they built these services kind of assuming that chubby would never go down because chubby was so, so good. It had a great track record. And then uh, when, whenever there was an outage with chubby, they noticed that all these other systems would go down. Uh, and so, um, kind of, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of a cool example of what can happen if you, um, uh, if you <laughs> do too good, I guess is what I'm trying to say, uh, that people just come to, re- to respect it. And so they started doing planned outages in order to kind of, uh, let those other teams, you know, get used to the, the notion of this not always being there and having to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and to shake out crazy. those dependencies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, for sure. and that's a good example of like somewhere where you want want a range where you're not really aiming for a hundred percent, and where in fact a hundred percent is even kind of bad. Well, I Too mean, it, it's weird, right? Because like you said, they did so good that everybody just expected them to always be perfect, and so they had no published SLO, so there was no way there was no way for them to indicate to people like, hey, you really shouldn't you shouldn't depend on this, right? Yep. It's all yeah, they even had a like a big planned out like what do they call it like uh I forget what they call it but it was like chubby outage day or something like global <laughs> global chubby planned outage yeah so really really interesting so now this leads us into the SLAs and this is you hear this term a lot I think in business um especially if you're using like cloud services or anything you'll see what the SLAs are. These are the agreements of what's to happen if the SLOs aren't met. And this is why they said that people interchange these terms all the time, right? So really an SLA is the consequences that happen if the, if something doesn't meet the SLOs. Um, if you're not, if there is no consequence, then you're likely talking about the SLO, right? And that's, that's really the big difference. Um, and if you've, if you've looked at, your cloud services, whether you're using Azure or AWS or Google or whatever, typically you'll see that there are so many nines with something like, you know, your storage or whatever. If that's not met, there's usually a monetary consequence, meaning they're going to credit you back a portion of your bill or, or whatever the case may be, right? Like that's typically what you're going to get. There was a section and I have been hunting for it so far while we've been recording, trying to find it, like where they said it were like one of these was t- like technically a measure of the other. Do you remember that? Where it was like SLAs were a measure of the SLOs or 
SLOs were, I, I didn't see that when I was reading this, but I don't know that SLAs would be a measure of anything because SLAs are really just your, almost like your legal obligation to whatever, whatever you've promised the customer, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they call it out like, you know, the, what's the difference between an SLO and an SLA and, and, uh, you know, you just ask the question, okay, like what happens if the SLO isn't met? If right. there is no explicit consequence, then you're talking about an SLO. But if there is a consequence, then you're likely talking about an SLA. Yeah. And, and what they say here is the SLAs are, they're, they're decided by the business. Um, but as a site, site reliability engineer, your job is to try and make sure that you don't trigger the SLO that will trigger that SLA. And sometimes um, there's uh, interesting kind of time constraints built into SLAs too that are a little bit different. So, like for example, you might have to, uh, if there is an outage, you might be contractually obligated to respond within 15 minutes or some sort of level of support. Or you know, if someone opens a ticket, it's sort of certain priority. Uh, then you might have a service level agreement, and that's that's getting more into the kind of business side of things and a little bit different than we're talking about. But those are frequently uh, kind of associated, at least in my mind. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, and again, those are going to be like, but you ever notice how like some companies like they'll have that SLA where it's like, well, we have to respond within like X amount of time. Doesn't mean they have to do anything with it. They right. don't have to like solve the problem. They just have to respond and their response could just be like an automated you know, system email. Like, yes, we, we acknowledge that there is a problem. Okay. <laughs> you were down. <laughs> yeah. SLA uh, met. Right. So. The SREs, they also are sort of responsible or they're, or they're, I guess, tasked with helping come up with the objective ways to measure this stuff, which basically means finding the right SLIs in order to to make these SLOs something that they can work on, right? And go ahead. Uh, I was going to go on the next point. It was kind of cool uh, to see here um, to mention that. Uh, Google doesn't have an SLA for most of the services like consumers use consumers use directly. Like uh, there's no SLA on search, for example. They, they don't they're not going to pay you if their search is slow. But for their business consumers, like companies that buy like you know the documents, whatever their their business suite is called, they do have SLA. So if like uh, you know maybe internal search is down or Gmail for business users is uh, is down, then that's where those SLAs come into play. But they still have SLOs for those other things we mentioned, like for general consumers, because obviously they have an uh, a stake and uh, an incentive to, to make things fast and good for you, but they're not going to pay you for it. You don't have to sign some agreement, you know? Well, I didn't, I didn't put all this stuff in the notes, but what was interesting about the, the search not having an SLA is the reason they still have the internal SLOs is because for one, they want their search to be fast because that's what the customer trust is, right? Like that's, that's one of the big things. But the other is, if their search is slow, that means their Google ads are getting served slower. And so they actually have a monetary hit internally um, because, you know, search is slower. There's, there's a lot of things that happen there. Right. I found the statement I was looking for and I'm just going to tease it right now. Cause we're going to come back to it later and, and we'll talk about it then, but I did find I'm not crazy. The statement does exist. <laughs> All right. That's it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. I was just teasing you okay. with it. Yeah, it, it was it was a straight up teaser. Not even any context, just teaser. Oh, um, all right. 
so this 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 section right here is the reason why I liked this particular chapter because it's very relevant to the kinds of things that we've been working on lately. So what should you care about? And this very first statement is so important. You should not care about every metric you can find as an SLI, right? So, <sighs> so an true. example I can give is so we we all use Kafka and both love and hate it at certain levels, but wait, you have like, hate for Kafka. Can we wait? Pause. I, I mean, it, I have hate. I, I hate, or I have hatred for anything that makes my life more complicated to a certain degree. Right. And Kafka enables so many things, but it is also like, it's a, it's a, a decently complex enough system. Right. I haven't gotten to that with it but okay like like just for instance like i mean we work in the kubernetes world like if you need to resize the volume like you need to make it bigger for some reason and trying to make it smaller is just it's not easy right like so there's a there's a lot of things but it's with any system so in general i'd say I, i really do like kafka and it does enable a lot of cool stuff but where i was going with this is there are some amazing um dashboards out there for like grafana and prometheus for tracking every single metric inside Kafka. But how many of those are actually relevant to you meeting a service level objective? Yeah. It, it, there might only be two out of like 50 that they can provide you. Right. <laughs> and cute. so you thought there were only 50. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Like there's probably way more, right? There's so many, way yeah, too many. It's a lot. Yeah. You can see how it's kind of tempting to say, well, okay, well, here are all my 50. Like, what should each of these be? And so you start setting up, um, you know, alerts or a service objectives around like CPU and memory and stuff like that. And th- those things don't make sense because it's okay if they go high. It's okay if they go low. You know, it's, it's really, uh, the service objectives need to be around like the business cases. Well, yes. here's the thing. Like, it, we, we've all seen this situation. So like, let's say you decide to start using Prometheus and Grafana for the first time and you're like, Oh, well, where do I even get started? Like Alan was picking on Kafka for a minute. So, so you're like, Oh, well, where do I do this? And you go and you find there's already like some dashboards that, um, like maybe, you know, if you're using Strimzy, like they've already put out, uh, some for their operator or, you know, you can find other people's dashboards that they put out. You're like, okay, I'll start here. And so you basically start with like everything under the sun, like, okay, it's all in my face now. Right. And you know, now you have a problem and you're like, well, I can't see the needle through the haystack. There's too many things going on. I don't know which one of these things really matter. Right. Or you take the flip side where you're like, Hey, you know what? I was listening to CodeBox. They were talking about this DevOps handbook thing and they were talking about observability and like getting metrics. So I'm going to do one of those for my custom web app. So you're like, okay, well, uh, this might be a good metric to know. And so you spit that one out and you build a little dashboard panel for that. And then you're like, oh, hey, here's another indicator here or another uh, metric that I can easily put out. Right. So now you build a panel for that thing. And and before you know it, you, again, you've like recreated the, the, the other situation where you have too much data happening in your face. And the problem is, is that that the thing that I liked about this portion was they were calling out like just because you can put the metric out there doesn't mean that it's a metric that helps you in any shape or form. Like imagine if in your, uh, you know, okay, you mentioned Kubernetes. So let's pick, let's mention in your Kubernetes cluster. Um, if you, I don't even know if you could do this, but let's say that you had a metric that was being spit back out to, uh, Grafana, 
uh, on your dashboard there that showed you the temperature of the CPU for that pod. Yeah. Why do you Why care? You care? Why right? do you care? Like, yeah. I mean, temperatures are like, you know, that's an easy thing. Like there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, solutions out there for getting the temperatures of your, of your, you know, the different components on your system in this situation. Is that a metric you care about? Is that like, it might be easy to do, but who cares? Right. Because in your Kubernetes cluster, in theory, if that node dies, cause that CPU got too hot, you're going to get moved to another node, right? Like it, it does not matter to you at all. Shouldn't. And, and some of and these it's a good indicator. It, so, right. You know, after the fact, like, hey, why did my pod die? And go in like, whoa, this temperature was way too high. Like, good info. No objective needed, though. Right. None. Yeah. And I was going to say that, like, some of these things might even be like uh, the indicators by themselves you don't care about, but maybe combined with other indicators, then you do care about it to know that, like, oh, well, the temperature rose in, uh, like, you know, this pers- this um, small amount of time. That's a problem, you know. Right. But in general, I don't care. Never show me that. <laughs> So, so that's one end of the spectrum, right? Like you have so much there that it's like you said, it's a needle in a haystack, right? Like that's a problem. There's the other end of it too, though, that could be a problem is if you just have one or two metrics, you may be missing entire gaps in your observability of the system because you don't really have enough to give you the picture of what's happening. So it's, it's a balancing act. I, I would say though, um, my, uh, take on it now, right? Because we've gone through this for a for a minute or now, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think this might be even consistent with some of the things that came out of the DevOps handbook. But to me, less is more. So yes. so start with you know I know I need to track uh the uh 500 level errors coming out of my web app. So I want I want that indicator being presented and then I can trend that over time, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then maybe I can like, you know, know that like, Oh, Hey, those indicator, like uh, there was a high level of them because we took the system down for an upgrade or whatever. Right. Like, so you, so, so you start with one metric five hundreds. Right. But then over time you're like, Oh, you know what? I also needed to know, uh, you know, I had, I had some crashing on my database because I ran out of space for the, uh, the write ahead log. So uh, I need to monitor what's the size of that log, or maybe I want to know the size, you know, free space available on that disk. So either way, like now you've learned something and so you're like, Oh, let me add a new metric for that. So the yes. point is, is like, as you learn that you need some a metric, add the metric, but don't start up front with like every metric known to, to known to man. And then try to like whittle down. These are the five I care about. Right. So, Along those lines, though, I think the important part is to get to what you just described, you need to know the service level objective, right? Once you have the service level objective in mind, then you can at least intelligently say, hey, you know, these are some important metrics that I need to track in order to even be able to see if we're meeting these SLOs. Well, yeah, so said another way. Like the way I was just describing it is like you'd have to have the problem first to know that you needed to have the indicate you you need that indicator which will and happen what, right yeah and 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 I guess I'm just saying like I embrace that I'm fine with that and right. and what Google's doing here though with uh you know like thinking about the service level objectives up front is they're trying to get in front of that and say like well what are the things I care about for this you know I'm spinning up this new service for uh, people to use what are the things I care about to know whether or not it's working correctly. Or uh, that it, you know, incorrectness might not also be the thing either. Like, you know, 
if you could be correct a hundred percent of the time, but if you're really slow at being correct, then nobody's going to care to use it. Right. Um, so, you know, those kind of factors, they're trying to get in front of those things by thinking through this. Which is cool because they sort of have some templated layouts for what their SLOs are. Um, Jay Z, you want to grab a couple of them? Yeah. Uh, so the examples they gave are availability, latency, and throughput. Availability, you know, we've talked about a bunch of times whether the service is up or not. Uh, latency here, um, their example is specifically talking about uh, like web requests, like how long it takes to, you know, basically how slow something is. But in our world, we talked about Kafka. Latency uh, also has a different meaning because it can mean how long it takes for something to get processed in your pipeline. And what I like about this is that if you have requests that come in every, uh, I don't say 30 seconds, but it takes you more than 30 seconds to process them, then you've got, uh, you've got a outage waiting to happen. It's just a matter of time because you're, you're not fast enough to keep up with the data coming in. So you're going to have a problem. So latency there, it can, it just means something different, but that's kind of a, a great example of something where you might only have a serviceable objective on availability because that's what the customer sees. But if you don't have one on latency, it can take you out and get you in a really bad spot where you're hours behind or whatever. And also <laughs> never able to catch up. And throughput was last one, which is how many requests were able to be serviced. And this is a good example too, where uh, zero is not good. <laughs> if you've got zero throughput on the system, you might want to have an alert on that. Um, just like you might want to have one if it's too much. Hey, so real quick on those three that he just mentioned, the availability, latency, and throughput, that was an example of their template for user facing services, right? Like those are anytime they stand up a service that, that um, an external customer is going to use, those are the three um, SLOs that they target there. Yeah. yeah but, and then they have a, okay, go ahead. Nope. No. no you, well, I was going to uh, say storage systems. Ah, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you, 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 uh, my uh, SLO was too slow. And so you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's that? We did bit to bit. All right, so storage sections, uh, <laughs> storage systems was the next one. They had examples of so latency, how long did it take to read, write. Uh, obviously, that makes sense for something like a S3 or blob storage availability. Uh, were you able to retrieve it at all? And then durability is the data still there when it's needed. And uh, yeah, that's where uh, all those nines come in uh, are generally around. Uh, you know, I need to look that up. But um, the all those nines for S3, are they for availability or durability or both? Well, I think durability. I remember we so talked too. about Wasabi and they had the 11 nines, but it was for durability. Yeah. So not, not necessarily availability, meaning that like they could take the system down for maintenance and they wouldn't lose your data. So it's not available, but the durability isn't, you know, it's still, it's still there on disc as soon as they like boot it back up. Yeah, so uh, their, uh, their S3 website for Amazon literally says designed for durability. Yeah. And then for big data systems, though, the, the template is throughput. So how much data is being processed and then the end to end latency. So how long uh, from ingestion to completion of processing? So this goes back to your pipeline example, you know, like uh, it's, it, it's taking into consideration more of the overall process, not just one piece of it. 
So, so you can almost think of like end to end latency as like a higher level objective. Cause like there might be components within your objective. Like if you did, like we were picking on Kafka, for example. So let's say you were doing a Kafka pipeline and maybe you have, uh, you know, if, uh, uh, something like a Debezium that's reading from one source and putting it into a Kafka topic, you have Flink that might be reading it out of that Kafka topic and maybe writing it out into like, uh, you know, another topic or database or, you know, like Elasticsearch or whatever. And so like, you know, you might have an SLO on like how, how fast, uh, Kafka can read and write into a given topic. And you might have an SLO as to how, like how, uh, the availability of, Elasticsearch and, uh, you know, new documents being updated and like when they're searchable again, but none of that matters when, it, when you're talking about, well, let me say, let me not say it that way. Let me say that that doesn't paint the full picture of well, what was the end to end availability. I get a new, uh, document in my source now and and, you know, there's all those touch points that I mentioned. So it has to go through Debezium, Kafka, Flink, Elasticsearch, four different technologies and that's the overall end to end. So yeah, when they talk about the big data um, pipeline or big data system there and template includes the end to end latency. Yeah. And of course everything should care about correctness and uh, a little section here on collecting indicators too. So like most of the things we've talked about have been server side. Uh, and so, you know, have something like a, a Prometheus or influx is going to kind of scan those and store those. Uh, get those from logs sometimes, but also there are client side, uh, metrics. So there's things you can do, um, sometimes with like a mobile app or whatever, where you can kind of collect metrics or, um, just kind of on a website. And what's important there is you might catch something where, um, there's some sort of bug or something else is going on that's actually in the app that makes the customer, uh, have experience bigger response times or latency than you're seeing it in your, uh, server side, uh, metrics. I do want to add though that, uh, related to the correctness, they say that that's typically like a property of the, the data in the system rather than necessarily the infrastructure. Right. So, uh, they don't measure that. That's not something that the SRE is responsible for. Right. Like a database, like it should work. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, it, It, it did make me wonder though, like, uh, because like, have you ever like written a query that returned back, you know, incorrect results but it did it fast right like i mean you could like select the wrong columns or like have some error in your predicate right and so that's an example of like well the assume the correctness is assumed to be there so if you if your predicate was wrong or you're selecting the wrong columns i mean that's just a bug in the system yeah in your in your application code and remember we're we're separating out the product development teams from the sres in this google world right and so that's why that would be an issue that the product team would be responsible for, not the SRE. Hey, so um, do you guys remember? It's I don't even know if this is how um, web pages work anymore. It's, like, it's, <laughs> you don't it's, know? I, well, if you honestly, don't know, we're, we're up the creek, man. <laughs> dude, it's so, I mean, the thing is, I haven't done any UI work for, for the web in a while. But you guys remember when back in the day, and I say back in the day, as in a long time ago, you were supposed to put all your JavaScript in the head, in in the head section of your website, right? And this goes to the client side latency. At some point, they told you to stop doing that because that would block the rest of the page, right? So it would wait for all of the JavaScript stuff to be loaded up in the head section before the rest of the page could be rendered. Now, the reason I say I don't know if it's this way anymore is I don't know if Chrome and Firefox and all those have gotten smarter and, and they do things a little bit differently now. 
But at some point, they said, take that stuff out of the head. Like, for instance, the Google AdSense or the ad tracker stuff, right? Like, if you wanted to track your stuff in Google Analytics, they would tell you to take that script block and put it in the body at the bottom of the page Mm -hmm. so that your page could render first before it fired off and loaded that JavaScript to let Google know that, hey, there's been a visit to the page. And this is like why they say tracking the client side latency actually matters because in the old days, and like I said, I don't know, maybe it happens this way today too, but with those scripts being up in the head, it might be three seconds before your page would render because it was loading up all this stuff in the head, even though it had the content for the rest of the body, right? Whereas when you move that stuff out of the head and you put it down at the bottom of the body, your page could start rendering immediately. So within, you know, I don't know, 300 milliseconds of the request being made to the server, you can start painting the page. And then that hit would be unnoticeable at the bottom. And and so that's what they're talking about. Like, that's why sometimes it's important to go down to the client to find out what's going on because there may be things happening that you're not even aware of that would require some investigation. Yeah. You ever like look, gone to a, a website and you'll see the content come in, but then it like starts moving around and taking shape as it's, uh, you know, um, as it's loading in. And that's why, because, you know, maybe the CSS or the JavaScript to fill in and define like what those were supposed to look like wasn't, uh, loaded until later, but you know, you might've already had some, Hello world kind of messaging or whatever, you know, popping in. Yep. It probably wasn't probably hello world though. It was probably something. An image from render image, a server side and just send the one image and then you're, you know, it's going <laughs> to look the same or PDF even better. There you go. Yeah. So get rid of HTML altogether. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's Great. the web 3.0 right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, so the next section was on aggregation, uh, which was really nice. So um, typically you're going to aggregate raw numbers and metrics. And so example would be like web requests. You know, you, it doesn't really make sense to say like 13, like you, it's a rate. So you would say a hundred thousand over the last 15 minutes, but uh, aggregations are dangerous because they can sometimes like hide the true behavior. And I was thinking about like sensor data here. Like um, if you're looking at like a, a large window, you might look and say, Okay, well, the temperature uh, over the last five minutes has stayed the same. Great. But what it might be hiding is that it may be spiking really bad. So, like, you know, I said, I think five minutes there, like maybe minute one was way high, minute two was way low, minute three. And so, you know, it averaged out the, at the same. And maybe you might even have the same median. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's just uh, the resolution of those metrics can, can hide what's going on and things you might care about. Uh, same well, with latency. Well, hold up before you, so you use temperature. Temperature is kind of hard to equate into a, into a, a machine level type thing. Yeah. But if you did, if you had something similar with requests, like what you were just saying, you know, super high and then super low and then super high and super low. The problem is the average might look the same, like you said, but your system's getting taxed way more when there's those bursts that come in. And so that's the thing that if it's hidden, you and you don't have metrics to actually look at that thing properly, then then you're just saying, hey, the average looks like this. So I don't know why the system's having problems, but but in reality, what's happening it might be two to three times worse, but it's hidden because of how you're showing your metrics. Yeah, and they use this example of like um, if you had 200 requests per second on the even numbered seconds and zero otherwise, compared to a system that had a constant hundred. 100 requests per second for every second, right? They would both average the same, 
but their burstiness is definitely different. And you, you know, so they're basically calling out like the difference or, or the importance of not using averages and instead right. going after percentiles. And this definitely goes back to the conversations that we had in the designing data intensive applications related to scalability, where um, they refer to it as like P95, P99, uh, what, what was it? P98, or I forget what the different ones. Oh, it's P95. Like deviations, right? No, it was P95, P99, and P39. So P999. But the the P marking the percentile and then the uh, the numbers being like the 95th percentile or whatever. So basically, like, how do you how do you know, uh, you know, how well your system is doing? And so, like, if you're going after the 95th percentile, then you're saying like, OK, 95 percent of the time it's in this this acceptable range. But five percent of the time it's it's bad. And like when it's bad, like, you know, it's it's really bad. Right. Um and so, you know, using these percentile ranks for your, uh, whatever your metric might be in this case, like if we're talking about latencies, right. If you're going after, if you're targeting like a 99.99% latency, well, that would, that would be kind of a percent. If that's your percentile, that, that would be an extreme one. Right. But, uh, let's just say 99th percentile for the latency, then, you know, 1% of the time, the latency might be unacceptable, but 99% of the time it's fine. Right. Well, it, here's something to be careful with these. And so I actually threw in some notes regarding Prometheus and how this stuff works here because I've actually been messing with this a little bit. So if you do that P9, P99, right, like they call them quantiles um, in, in Prometheus. But if you do 99%, then that means that 99% of your requests all happen within the given amount of time, right? So, so if we're talking about latencies, right? So for instance, let's say that your 99th percentile is five seconds. That means that 99% of all your requests happened or were serviced in, in five seconds or less. If you go up to 99.99, you just added two, nine, two additional nines of, of tracking and it might jump from five seconds to five minutes, right? So, that's that's the thing that you kind of have to wrap your mind around is typically when you set up these things, um, one of the things that Google mentioned is, right, like they want 95% of their request for a particular service to be in 300 milliseconds or less, right? So they would set up a, a quantile of 95%, and then hopefully that number they see comes in under 300 milliseconds, right? Because then that means that they are meeting their service level objective, you might put in the the double nines, the the quantile of ninety nine, just to see what's happening for your long tail users, right? It, it might be that they are having an absolutely horrible experience, right? Like it might have jumped from three hundred milliseconds to to ten seconds, and and they may want to address that. I mean, they may not, but at least it paints the picture. But then also, you want to drop down to your fifty percent quantile to see what the average requests are doing right so it might be that your quantile of 50 percent you're serving most requests in or or a lot of requests in under 100 milliseconds right so i guess the important part is if you don't go all the way up to 100 percent in your quantile you won't see what the absolute worst request was right you're only getting what the um population is hitting 
in those things, right? And that's that's what you kind of have to wrap your mind around where it's different than averages. But uh, well, uh, yeah, definitely different than average. But I think that's also like a, a difference of the tool, though, too, right? Because in this particular case, you're talking about Prometheus, but like you could you could target 95th percentile, but still show over time, like oh, we definitely went over 99 percent or over 95 percentile, like it, in a graph form, right? You could show that you went over that metric. I think the important thing though is that I mean this goes back to like the start of this this book where uh you know in that in that 99 percentile that you just gave where you said that it was like five, it went up to 5 minutes that's definitely bad super bad nobody's going to argue that especially if your target is like you I think you said 300 milliseconds in your example right yeah so so but maybe that stuff out of your control Right. Right. That, that user could be on a cell phone in a really bad area. You know, they, they could be, uh, you know, trying to browse your site from the Amazon rainforest and, you know, cell reception isn't so hot there. Right. Or, or so I guess my point is, is that, that where I was thinking as you were describing this is like, that's all fine and dandy. And, and I agree with it. Don't dare set an alert just because right. you crossed it one time. Right. Right. Like this is where the aggregation would be important because you would, you'd want to say like, okay, it's been, we crossed it for a period of time, you know, rather than just like one occurrence. Agreed. And that's why the percentiles actually work out to your favor. Right. Cause when you have that, you should never trigger on one. Right. Assuming you have more than two events that happen in the system. Um, it should only happen if it starts trending that way over a given amount of time. Um, all right. So what do we have it? So studies have shown that users prefer a system with low variance, but slower over a system with high variance, but mostly faster. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about like, you know, if you're a hundred percent correct, but you're really slow, uh, you know, people would prefer their, some response time in that than necessarily the absolute correctness. Actually, it's the inverse of what you just said. <laughs> People Wait. would prefer consistency. Um, well, whether it, if it's now, if it's super slow, obviously nobody's going to like it, but people would prefer knowing that every time that they use a service that they're going to have a certain level. Right. Yeah. So they, they don't want it to be super fast on this request and then super slow in a minute when they do it again. They'd rather, you know, be relatively decent all the time. As opposed to screaming fast and then sometimes really slow. You can think about like uh, if there's a road and you can go 35 miles an hour, people are fine with it. But if there's a road that's 45 miles an hour, but every once in a while there's a bus that stops and people have to wait. And overall, it averages higher. But people really feel that. They notice that time that stops. And so they're going to complain about it more. They're going to rate that lower. and They're going to say it feels slower, even though on average it ends up being higher. Yeah, that's I'm replaying really what I said example. in my mind and I'm like thinking that I need to go back to bed. <laughs> when you said it i was like yeah that's totally not <laughs> i'm like i said that out loud <laughs> i like the bus example that's really good yeah so that's just said and did you say at google uh they prefer distributions over averages just like we said because they kind of let you get at those long tails it's better representation of data like if you tell a data scientist uh 
you know, hey, the average of my numbers is 50. You know, you're not telling them anything. If you tell them the median, it's a little bit better. If you can tell them percentiles, then suddenly you have a really great way of des- describing a set of numbers. But, you know, there's more overhead and whatever. But um, I mean, like, much better. you know, the, the one that um, my argument to like averages has always been like, if you want like a really easy to to comprehend like anybody, they don't have to be in computer science, right? Like an easy to comprehend version of like why averages fail you at times is if you were to talk about uh, wealth or, or just income, right. And you talk about averages, you have some extreme outliers, right? Like a Bezos or a Musk or a Gates or whatever that totally will throw off an average. Right. And so it's like, eh, I don't know. That's so helpful. Right. Yeah, so you, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like the worst way to describe a set of numbers, <laughs> but it, I mean, it's still helpful and, and certainly it's got its uses, but uh, yeah, it's all, it's like in my mind, it's like uh, you t- average. If you got it median preferred in almost in almost all cases and the percentiles is <laughs> preferred even more than that by far. Yep. So the, the one thing that they say here is if you don't really understand your distribution of data, it could be a problem because your system might be your system or you might be taking actions that aren't right for the situation. Right. Like if, uh, if every time, like, like outlaw mentioned, don't, don't dare alert me. If just one thing hopped over this number, right? Like don't do that. Well, if you don't have the right distributions in place, you might be restarting systems because you think, Oh, the, the CPU is too high now. Right. And, and it just spiked for, for one one thing, like you might be doing things that are more harmful to the situation than helpful. And and for those that are into statistics, they're saying like, don't assume that the data is normally distributed. So uh, the bell curve, yeah don't right. don't assume it's a normal bell curve. It might be a skewed curve. And like the income example that I gave is a is an example of a skewed distribution where like you know the spike is going to be on the left hand side, you know, and you're going to have this like very long tail out towards the right hand side. Right. And so, uh, you need to understand what your data is because if you go after it, assuming that it is a normally distributed data set, then that, um, where the tip of that bell curve is, uh, is, is might not be where the median, uh, is in the case of a not normally distributed data set. So it'll throw off all your, all your metrics. Uh, and speaking of being thrown off, like as a human, I'm often thrown off when um, I'll, sometimes you ever see like a, a page of graphs or charts or whatever, but the units aren't the same. So maybe the top one on the right is like days of the week and the one on the left is like minutes or the times don't line up. Uh, so it could, that could be a real problem with as a human, especially time zones. Uh, I've seen that where, um, yeah, anyway, just like two different charts will have different kind of time ranges. Um, but uh, just a, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can I go off on a tangent for a minute? Because when we talk about like humans and readability and charts and things like that, one thing that like super irritates me, and I actually appreciated it, that it was called out in this book, specifically in this chapter, because so often, and we've talked about uh, Grafana here. So let's, let's pick on Grafana for a minute Um, because Grafana does this and it, it irks me at times where you draw a graph and you know, maybe the, the left bottom corner is zero, zero, but also maybe not, maybe we've scaled the graph. Right. And yeah. and we've like super zoomed it in. 
And so like, or in the case of this chapter, the Y axis is logarithmic. So, you know, meaning that, uh, the bottom half of the graph might only represent like say 50 points of data, but you know, the top half of the graph might represent a billion, you know, so it's like totally scaled weird, uh, you know, changing the scale on, of that Y axis as it moves along the graph. And Grafana will do this thing where like, depending on what the data is, it will just zoom in all together. Right. And so your, your bottom left corner, instead of being zero, zero might be like 98. Right. And so you'll see like these, like large jumps in your, in your, your graph in the chart. Right. And you'll think like, Oh, the world's on fire. Like, look what just happened. Like, look how steep that, that climb is. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. The, the axis is like, it's super zoomed in. It's yeah. It's it's showing two different points, right? Like 98, 99% now instead of zero through 99. Or, or maybe even like 98 and 98.005. And yet it looks like, you know, the world just caught on fire because of the way it zoomed in. And so like, that's why I like I get it. I look at these graphs and charts and it's so often and I'm like, wait, what? And then I have yep. to like go back and meet like, uh, hold on. Like one of the axes is here. <laughs> have you ever seen it where like, um, sometimes, uh, you know, the charts you have to find like inputs and stuff. So maybe you'll have a thing in the top, right. where you can just, like shrink the time range to say like, show me last three hours. Right. And all the, the charts on the page that take that input will adjust, but maybe one of them still shows like <laughs> yeah. the total count per day or something. And so, like, it, it wasn't something to input, and there's not a good way to see that it's not, you know, being, it's not respecting that field. The woes of Grafana. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's really, yeah. it's user error, right? It's oh, all setting yes. up the charts properly, but, but still, it, it'll freak you out. Like what you said. Yeah. I'm it's definitely not hours. the tool. Why yeah. is this bad? Why does this look like this? Yeah. It's definitely not a problem with the tool. It's a problem with the tool using it. Yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, uh, also, uh, another good point is like, you imagine if, like, if Google had just one dashboard so that, like, CEO or, you know, whoever could just log in and be like, how are we doing on our SLOs today? And you could see that different teams, like, use different measures. So, like, maybe, uh, you know, the search team is like, hey, we've got requests per second. And, but then, um, you know, the, the office stuff is like, well, these are, this is our email delivery rates per minute. And the next one is like, this is our uptime per hour. It just makes things difficult to kind of, read as a human so the more you can kind of keep those units the same and just kind of standardized the better yep um that was that was actually leading into this last little bit here was the standardization they almost don't even describe it when they're setting up new services because they do have a standard set of things that they measure on every single service right so those are almost assumed and and the primary reason for that is so you don't have to convince or describe that same thing to everybody every time you set up a new service these are the slos that this service has to meet done right everybody is on the same page already so um you know that that's helpful for both the business and the sres and you imagine having a dashboard it's like well this one's these are this is latency but this is like latency plus plus and like latency plus plus also measures like well i can't compare these two now right right This episode is sponsored by Shortcut. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Most are either too simple for growing an engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding. 
Shortcut is different though because it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, and powerful. Let's look at some of their highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use Shortcut's default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Organization-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight VCS integrations. Whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, Shortcut ties directly to them so you can update progress from the command line. And a keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard-friendly with their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. So give it a try at shortcut.com slash coding blocks. Again, that's shortcut.com slash coding blocks. Shortcut. Because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. All right, who's doing the beg here? Can we do it? Well, I think sure. uh, Alan did such a great job last time. What well, didn't you do a funny voice last time? What was it? Oh, you did like a Johnny Cash voice last time or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I did. I don't remember. <laughs> we also didn't get any reviews last time. Yeah, we did. Uh, so maybe we I don't failed. let Alan do it. Yeah. No, I think maybe I it should be Jay Z this time. Yeah, I think I think all he right. needs to beg. All right. Uh, all right. Hey, y'all. Uh, I would like to ask you for reviews because we are doing really bad. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing really bad on reviews lately. We haven't been getting any. Uh, we haven't been getting many. And uh, yeah, I mean, even if you got a bad one, like just let us have it. We're so desperate. We're- whoa, whoa, who who let this guy talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. This is why I don't. So I'll, I'll I'll take over from here. Uh, if you haven't left <laughs> us a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review, especially a positive review. But you know, if you do want to leave a negative review, you know, hit up Joe on the Slack. He apparently likes that. Uh, <laughs> right. You can find some helpful links at www.codingbox.net slash review. And also, uh, I don't know how long we're going to keep saying this, reminding people of this, but I guess we'll continue. But apparently, this is a thing in Spotify, too. So uh, you can, uh, I guess it's just like a thumbs up or something. Or no, it's like a star or a plus or something. I forget. You see how often I use Spotify. I'm like the one out of 10 people that don't use Spotify. Yeah, that's crazy. Maybe that should be a survey. Like, do you use Spotify? And everybody's going to be like, yeah, duh. Yes. And right. it's just like sock, sock, shoo, shoo. And I'll right? be like, like get, out of my, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, sock, sock, shoo, shoo. Come on. <laughs> right. Everybody does that. That's crazy. It's sock, shoe, sock, shoe. We already established this. It's sad. We had a poll. That's right. Yeah. And it was a uh, sock, shoe, sock, shoe, right? Okay. I still think about that every time I put my shoes on. I'm like, I'm still baffled that that was like such a thing. I never would have guessed it. <laughs> it never would have dawned on me that it was like any kind of controversial statement. All right. The little things that we take for granted in life are sometimes funny, right? All right. Well, we move on to my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So uh, a few episodes back, we asked, how awesome was game January? And your choices were, I learned so much, or I forgot how much I need to play other people's games, or how much time I need to play other people's games, or I thought my game was good, but oh my, some of these are profesh, or I now know that I want to be a game developer, followed by, I now know that I do not want to be a game developer. 
All right, this is episode 183. Alan, you're up first according to Tutukko's trademark rules of engagement. Yeah, I'm going to say I thought my game was good, but oh my, some of these are so profesh because that would that would have been my takeaway. Uh I'm going to go with 30%. All right. Uh well, I'm going to go with 31%. Oh man. <laughs> Because you felt the same way, huh? Well, I didn't say which answer, though. Oh, uh, well, that was not assumed. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to be funny. It totally didn't work. Uh, yeah. So, well, I'll stick with it, though. Let's go with it. With right. the profesh? Yeah. Yeah, you're both wrong. Really? Well, what was it? I learned so much. I now know I do not want to be a game developer. <laughs> 75% of the vote. Well, oh, wow. Awesome. Oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny. So, you know, um, you know, we've been talking about measurements and everything though. And it, it made me think that like, cause here in America, like we used it, uh, you know, either it's either referred to a standard or Imperial system, you know? And there were, do you remember, do you remember like, well, we wouldn't remember it. It was technically before our time, but in the history books, you might remember having come across, like there was a time where America was trying to switch to metric. Back in like the sixties, I think it was, or something like that. Like it was either the sixties or seventies. Like they literally did put in like, you know, um, various legislatures or whatever. were like going to make a concerted effort to like, we're switching America to the metric system to be like the rest of the world. Right. But they didn't. And if it failed miserably and then made me think like, you know, Americans can't switch from pounds to kilograms overnight. It just can't. It caused mass confusion. Ah, jeez. <laughs> Excellent. That, Long lead up, but poor execution, but whatever. I like uh, it. It was good. It's morning. It's morning. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. So uh, how about this? Then we're, we're talking about all these metrics and, uh, you know, how, how to identify these things in SLIs and SLOs. So for this episode survey, SLIs and SLOs sound awesome, but does your team use them? And your choices are, of course. How else would we track our error budget? <laughs> or, I mean, they sound great, but um, yeah, we don't we don't have this. Or, oh wow, we have so many slow parts. Oh, it's an acronym. Never mind. Or, we're on our way and it's looking promising. That that's for the optimistic people out there. Or, I'm convinced and we'll implement them in the near future. And that one's for the procrastinators. <laughs> Oh man, this so, is a. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee you, I know what it won't be. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm so curious, but I don't want to like. Ah, <laughs> oh, I mean, I really want to know. <laughs> I mean, do you have an error budget, sir? <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I just want to know. <laughs> Me personally, sure, sure, <laughs> right, right. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get back into this. Uh, just a quick reminder, though, you know, if you haven't uh, if you want to like a chance to get a copy of the book, either in physical form or Kindle form, uh, you can leave a comment on this episode and, uh, you know, for your chance to win a copy of the book. Otherwise, if you want the free, it is freely available. Uh, Google made it freely available on the Web, probably so that they can like keep metrics and track who's reading the book and how often it's being read and things like that. But that said, I did notice uh, this week there was actually an update available to the book that uh, on the online version, you just, you know, you get, 
Well, that's kind of nice. So objectives in practice. Yeah, I don't know that I like this one. No, really? (laughs) No, find out what the users care about, not what you can measure. That's so much harder. (laughs) But Well, it is. But I mean, this goes back to like what I was, this is similar to what I was describing earlier, where it's like, you know, don't just, everything that you can measure under the sun isn't necessarily the things that matter. And so this is like kind of flipping it on like, well, how do you define what matters? Well, what do your users care about? Like, what's the user experience? And let's start with that. And, and I'm totally kidding, right? Like it should absolutely be driven by what the users care about. Cause they even say, right, just because it's easy to measure doesn't mean it's useful to your SLO at all. Right. It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you have a static web, uh, website, right. Let's say, let's, let's talk let's keep it in a Kubernetes world, a container world. So that website isn't changing until you do a deploy. Like, why do you need to know like how many free inodes you have available on that system? Right. right, like it doesn't matter. Who cares? Don't matter. Yeah. No, I like uh, the next section on defining objectives. Uh, SLOs should define how they're uh, measured and what conditions make them valid. And uh, so here's an example of good SLO definition: ninety ninety nine percent of RPC calls averaged over one minute return in one hundred milliseconds as measured across all backend servers. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's up to you to type that into Prometheus or Grafana or whatever. You know, you can kind of define these things. Uh, but that, that tells you so much. So how many times have you seen something that's like latency five? You're like, well, wait. Well, wait <laughs> what does that mean? Is that, is that good? I'm confused. I thought we said the averages were bad. Oh, no. All right. My head yeah. just exploded. <laughs> that's right. But hey, at least you know what it is. Uh yeah. And so, you know, as we mentioned before, it's unrealistic to have your server service level objectives meaning 100%. And, uh, yeah, striving for a hundred percent, uh, takes too long, expensive. It's just not worth it. So do you remember when I teased you guys at the start of the show or early in the show about, yeah, like, the, Oh, Hey, this the was the section. Teasing. <laughs> yeah. This was the, this was the section where like it made a reference to something else. So we have previously talked about error budgets, I believe in the last episode, if I recall. I and so this they they made a point of saying an error budget is just an SLO for meeting other SLOs. And that was the mm. thing. That was the like one thing referring back to the other thing. That I was like, wait, was it this chapter? It was that one. Okay. So one. it wasn't measuring measurements. It was observing observability. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay. it, it was some, it was some sort of recursive call to itself. Yeah. All right. So we should probably Google recursion and, you know, it'll yeah, all right. go better. I'll go well. <laughs> uh, here's another section I like because this is like the first, like, this is instantly what I want to do. And I know it's wrong. But, uh, they talk about when you're choosing targets, one thing you should not do, and this is something I desperately want to do, is to, char- is to choose SLO targets based on current performance. And what I mean by that is like uh, if I'm setting up metrics for the first time on a system that's already existing, and I'm trying to figure out what numbers should be. The first dang thing I want to do is take a look at what they are now. <laughs> and that is such the wrong answer, right? Uh, yeah. Well, cause like, <laughs> for example, let's, let's go back to that web server, uh, you know, in, in Kubernetes example, if you were to say like, okay, um, how many, I just spun up my, my Apache or Nginx instance in on this pod. How many times can I hit? Uh, a you know a static index HTML file 
right? Maybe it's even a default one year or whatever. And how, whatever that number is, that's the metric for like how well I want my web server to perform. But in that example, like that's, not even relevant to what you're doing because that's just a static web page. Whereas your other one's really dynamic, has a bunch of API calls to make. There's authentication to deal with things like that. So like you're not really comparing apples to apples. So who cares what it's maximum was in this one particular scenario? What's really more important is like, well, what's realistic and you know, those high, those crazy high numbers might not even matter to the user going back to Google's point from the beginning of this book, right? They might not even matter. So let's come up with like a real, uh, uh, something that's more, what am I trying to say here? Like, a uh, representative of what the users are going to care about. Yeah. And that's definitely what I'm thinking too, is, uh, it's about what your users expect and what your users want, not about what you, you have now. But I, I guess you can make the argument and be like, well, nobody complained last week. So let me see. Here's our average <laughs> time last week. I guess it's fine. I mean, uh, so it's a shortcut, but it's just, it's coming out from the wrong direction. I, I, you, you three or two, I, I can't count this morning. Um, I'll average that out and it'll come out to like you one and a half. Um, ah, oh, dang, it wouldn't even be that. Uh, you won. So. <laughs> I'm going nowhere fast. You might recall, like, do you remember uh, way back in the day we had a, a, a server environment where like we were trying to decide like, okay, well, what do we want to be able to serve? And like, how many servers do we need? Blah, 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 blah. And we ended up with like a really, really high number. Do you remember that? I remember. I totally remember this. <laughs> and, and we were using like, at the time we were, we were trying to say like, okay, how many concurrent users do we want to be able to, um, uh, maintain on a given server, right? And so we had this formula of like, okay, here's the average think time that a person's going to stay on a given page. Here's the pages per second, uh, you know, divided by the CPU times CPU, blah, 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 equals concurrent users. And we ended up with like many more web servers than we needed. A few, yeah. a few, uh, by orders of magnitude. Yeah. <laughs> <that> we needed. <laughs> uh, I mean, that makes it sound like way worse, but yeah, it, it, it was, was bad. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it made me think back to like th- this portion made me think back to that. Like that was an example of, you know, um, we at least tried though, right? Like we, we, yeah. Oh yeah. We had a, a metric that we wanted to start with and we used that metric to try to define, uh, how to build out from there. But then, you know, ended up overshooting and, and had to go back and re revisit things. So, uh, I guess the point there being that like, even with these SLOs, you know, you're going to try to come up with a target number rather than like what the system is capable of necessarily. But uh, it's also okay to like reevaluate as time goes by, right? Yeah, and having a calculator is fantastic because you can go back and adjust those numbers. So I'll, I'll take a calculator that gets it way wrong any day over a well, ten is too much. Let's try four. <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, that, that kind of leads into the next thing that they said is keep your SLO simple, right? If you make it too complex, then it's hard for people to even understand. And when there are changes made in the system, it might be difficult to even see what that impact was on what your original SLO was anyway. So, you know, the simpler, the better. And avoid absolutes. I like this one too. Like, oh, it, and, I, and I'm sure we've heard this with Kafka and other things too, right? You can scale indefinitely, right? Like this thing will handle everything. Don't say that. 
right? Like, because as soon as you say that, you're going to hit a tipping point to where it doesn't scale indefinitely without a ton of work, right? And in making those statements means that you're going to be spending a ton of time trying to make sure that the thing will do what you tried to promise up front. I like this too. They say to have, have as few SLOs as possible. And you want to be able to have just enough to ensure that you can track the status of your system and they should be defendable. And I think that's really cool too. So I think you should like, it's like a take away until you can't take away anymore. Yeah. I mean, this, this goes back to what kind of what I was thinking before with the, the Grafana and like, you know, you can definitely find some easy to start with dashboards out there for like a given system that are totally generic, right? Like, so for metrics for a Postgres or a Kafka or zookeeper or whatever. Right. And you know, they know obviously nothing about what your business needs are in your application. So all of those metrics are super generic and not helpful. And, you know, if you were to use those as your starting point, definitely start whittling away at it. And, and you know, the things that you don't care about, like get rid of them because you don't want to have like more things in your face that you ever like, have you ever been in a situation where, uh, maybe you thought you had something like really nice together that had like a bunch of metrics, like, Oh, I can know exactly what the health of the system's doing. Right. And maybe some things are like, you know, red and on fire, you know, alarming, but you're like, you have trained yourself like, okay, well, you know, uh, I mean, I kind of care about it, but it's not like, you know, the end of the world or whatever. And then like your boss's 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 boss happens to stop by and it's like, Hey, what you got there? And you're like, Oh, see this is, I can like monitor the whole thing. And he's like, Oh my God, why is it on fire? And you're like, Oh, well that one doesn't matter. And then his immediate reaction yeah. is like, why is why it there? Is it on there? Yeah. And you're well, like, yeah. there. Well, cause I want to get to it eventually. It'd be, you just said it doesn't matter. Sure. Yeah. It kind of doesn't. Then you're not going to ever get to it. Cause I'm never going to let you get to it. Right. Yeah. Right. Good, good point. Yep. Yeah. They, they also say here, perfection can wait, right? you never, it, it's basically what we just said with the web server thing, right? We started out with this crazy high number. Well, um, that wasn't right. Refine it. Right. Like yep. trim it down. What numbers did we, well, like what arguments did we get wrong here? And let's fix those and try yeah. again. Yeah. Don't, don't shoot for perfection, man. I, I've heard so many times and I actually like this statement, right? Perfection gets in the way of good enough and, and good enough is usually what you want and all you need. So that's, uh, you know, go that way. And this, I actually liked a whole lot too. The SLO should be a major driver for what the SREs are actually working on because that SLO defines what the users care about. So if the users care about it, then you should make sure that you're meeting those users' needs. And so that should be what the SRE is focusing on. So said another way, let's think back to the purpose of this book and what the SRE title was, right? This means that these these are a group of people who aren't necessarily going after new features to the product or the service and instead are saying like, Oh, I see this thing trending in what could become a bad, uh, you know, bad for us way in this particular, uh, you know, dashboard or whatever. And I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of that. I'm going to, I'm going to put in a fix to, to address that before it becomes a problem. Right. Right. To, to even automate the fix. Right. Which is what we talked about earlier on with this. Like that's the whole goal. Hey, real quick before we go on to the next section. Uh, so I went looking for the S3 SLA because we were talking about that earlier and I was curious how they define it. They don't talk about durability at all in, in the SLA. The SLA is only for uptime. So 
I think around their SLOs, they may have durability, but I'll put a link here in the page. It, I, it was kind of interesting to me. Um, I'm going to stick it down here. Well, in the S3 definitely, I mean, it might not be part of their SLA, but SLA. they talk about a durability of like, I can't even count how many nines it it's is. It's like five 11. nines or something. No, but it's no, like that's more than that. 11. Yeah. yeah 11? The durability is 11. Okay. So, but that's what was interesting to me is in their SLA, the only thing that has a consequence is if their uptime is down. I put it down there in the resources we like if you guys wanted to check it out. But, but yeah, and, and they actually have monetary, um, returns, right? So they have a service credit percentage. If, if the uptime goes down to below 99, but above 98%, then you get a 10% credit. If it goes lower, the 98, but above 95, you get a 25% credit. And if it's lower than 95%, then you get all your money back. So it, it's pretty interesting. But every everything that I looked at on this page has nothing to do with durability. It's all about the service being available when called by the, the end application or whatever. Yeah, and I, I just saw that. So I, I, I Googled that because I just had read about the durability. And so uh, S3 does claim 11 nines of durability, but it's not part of the SLA, just SLA. like you said. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up is because, again, we mentioned earlier, the key differentiator between an SLA and an SLO is the consequences of it going down, right? And, and the only consequences here is if the uptime is, is not what they claim it to be. So it's it's interesting. I mean, how how people define these things or companies define them. Just to like close the loop on where I was going at with the um, the SRE that working on like thing. I mean, this goes back to like the maturity level of uh, of the type of company that you're going to work for as to whether or not this is going to work for your team because it it it's a it's definitely a, a certain level of maturity for a company to be able to afford to have a team focused only on SRE type uh, initiatives, right? And and not focus on, uh, you know, new features and whatnot for the product. Yeah, totally. And next section was on uh, control measures, which is basically what you do, uh, or like the, the kind of knobs that you can tweak in order to uh, fix things when they go bad. So uh, if you're imagine you're monitoring your system SLIs, you've constructed SLOs over those SLIs to know when things are you know going wrong, when you have a problem, and then when that sub service level objective is out of compliance, basically if there's an alert, something's wrong, you need to take action. Then control measures are the actions that you take. So, example, if you see latency going up, and so your SLO is uh, in kind of in violation, and you've got an alert glowing, uh, blaring, <laughs> then you can go. And see that maybe your CPU is too high. So then you can go increase your CPU capacity and you should see that latency go down, assuming that's actually, you know, what's going on there. And so it was just kind of cool to talk about, um, that. And I think that ties in with the playbooks. So like knowing what to do about these things when those service level objectives, uh, are going wrong. But, uh, you know, of course you can't write out every permutation of what's going on, but even just knowing like that, that CPU is one of the things you can tweak and how to do it is a good thing. Also remember that too, though, that like, um, Google specifically at the start of this book said that they prefer to like, uh, rather than having a playbook of like, Hey, here's how you fix it. They prefer to automate that process mm-hmm. yeah. so that it oh, can yeah. fix itself. Right. So I forget how they referred to it. it was like, they didn't want, um, 
automated. They wanted automatic. Or do you remember the phrasing that they used for that? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll it was automatic over automated. I forget now. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it was. I think that's but what that's the goal of the SRE, right? Is to automate the things that could be actionable based off some sort of playbook. Like if you have a playbook for it, then you should be able to automate it more or less. Right. I mean, Kubernetes is a great example of this, right? Like think back to pre Kubernetes days, right? Like how you go back to our example that I gave a moment ago about like think time and, and page per seconds and whatnot. And you're trying to decide like, Hey, how many web servers do we want? for our application right and so you had to like think about that and then you're like watching your traffic load and you may like oh hey we don't have enough and so then you as a person had to go and like you know a watch that metric and be like oh you know what uh based on cpu utilization or io or whatever i think i need to add in another web server right and so then you would have to go in and handle the provisioning of that yourself and configurating and whatnot now with Kubernetes, for example, you could just say like, hey, uh, here's the health metric to watch. And if this resource limit gets above, uh, you know, like a 90% CPU, go ahead and, you know, spin up another pod for it. Right. And, and you know, that's an example of like, you know, something that can now be automated that I'm sure some SRE and Google, you know, was was uh, tasked with figuring out or, you know, probably responsible for implementing and bringing to the world, you know. Yeah, Kubernetes is the best until it's I not, mean, and then it's it. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there's room for it to be simplified for sure, but right now I can't. I wouldn't want to work somewhere that didn't have Kubernetes. I, you know, unless you've got like a three tier system with literally like one server, you know, for each tier. Like I can't I, imagine. I had this thought way. though on it though, like uh, another tangent. Oop, tangent alert. Um, because the one downside though that I that I thought about this week with Kubernetes is that like you're like everybody has to become an expert at every layer of like networking <laughs> yeah. and security and like uh how to deal with firewalls and or whatever you know it's no longer just as simple as like uh it works on my machine like you're spinning up a cluster you know a server farm everywhere you go like every time you know uh it, yeah. it's it's got That's its cool. good and its bads you know it's all good what are you talking about oh you don't want to learn about networking? I, I totally messed up that part then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me rephrase this. Uh, I'll figure it yeah, out. I, I totally agree with you. You're right. It's just, it, it, I, I love it, but it's, it is complex. Like there's, there's so much. And in fact, there was that thing that um, I, I well, I guess we'll share it with the rest of the world too. But uh, Jay-Z shared this uh, picture of the Kubernetes glacier, right? Well, like, Jeez what I don't all, all the things I don't know about Kubernetes and like how depressing it is to be like, Oh, <laughs> look at how much stuff is really in there. Like, uh, yeah, it gets deep. So, uh, all right. Well, so going back to what we said before about publishing that the SLOs, like these SLOs set expectations. And so it's, great for teams to be able to publish those so that other users can know what to expect. So going back to the chubby example, which by the way, can we admit that's a horrible service name, but yeah, the, these, <laughs> these guys, these, Google, like, these. uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, because you know, you're, you, you don't want people to become too reliant on it. You want to like set some kind of level of like, Hey, you know, it's okay if we're down every now and then for maintenance or whatever, um, but it's great that our service is good enough to where like, 
you know, we only have to take it down when we want to, but, uh, you know, don't, don't be so reliant on it. Hey, so this, this next part is what I was mentioning earlier and I forgot it was at the end of this was, um, they were talking about having like a safety margin, like one approach to, to having these expectations are, is you have your internal SLOs, right? Like, Hey, I want, I want all of my requests for my service to come back at 200 milliseconds. But for the, for the external customers that are facing the SLO we're going to publish for them is we want them to come back in 300 milliseconds. Right? So you've got a buffer of a hundred milliseconds there. And they were talking about, if you do this, then this kind of protects you because you can aim for your internal targets and that way you're always pleasing your external customers. So that's, that's one way to do this. And then the other is don't overachieve, right? They talked about this early on was you are not trying to get consistently better than your SLO because then people come to rely on that. Like the chubby service that never went down, but when it did, there were outages everywhere because people thought it was there. And so they actually uh, said that you should consider doing failure injection, which is a thing that they have there to where they actually introduce downtime on purpose um, X amount of time throughout a quarter. So that seems weird to me, but I get it. But this isn't failure injection as in like the chaos monkey from Netflix. No, no that's no. totally different. This was just like, I, I almost hate to call it like failure injection. It's just like, we're going to, we're introducing forced downtime. Right. Yeah. You know? That's all it is. It's not necessarily a failure. The system didn't crash, but we're, we're bringing it down for one reason or another. Yeah. It's going to be unavailable and it may not even be planned. Right. Like we don't want people to know that, Hey, we're taking the system down tomorrow night at, at, at midnight. No, it's just, it's going to be down at some point and we're going to take it down so that people will understand that our reliability is what we published. Right. So it, it's interesting. It's weird, but it, it, it sort of makes sense. The, the failure injection might be on the other teams that have the dependency, right? Right. You know, so yeah, they, they need to make sure that they can work around that. And so like, it'll call out the issues in their system in the case of the chubby example. Yep. So agreements in practice. So we we've pretty much uh you know covered SLIs and SLOs pretty good, but we've only kind of scratched the surface with the SLAs, right? But that's also fair because the the SRE's role is not to set the SLA. Right. Like that's a business decision. Going back to like the consequences that Alan gave with the um uh, Amazon in the S3, right? In the cost there, right? Like, you know, us as developers, we're not going to say like, Hey, guess what we're going to do? If, if, if this service goes down that I wrote, I'm going to give you back this amount of money. Like, we're not going to do that. That's not for us to decide. <laughs> yeah. If, if you could, how much would you give back? Uh, zero. Zero. <laughs> wow. Joe's greedy. Jay Z granting it. That's awesome. Um, but what the SRE's role is, they may not be defining those. They are supposed to at least inform them about how difficult it's going to be to meet those SLOs or the SLAs that are being put up there, right? Like if somebody says, oh, yeah, we're going to guarantee an SLA of 99.9999 uptime, the SRE's going to go, dude, you're crazy. Like we can't, we can't make that happen. Right. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's where they kind of come into play. 
So they, they get to call people crazy all the time. Is, yeah, exactly. We could have summed up this book a lot easier. <laughs> SREs get to call people crazy. That's it. Uh, I feel like I'm an SRE. Maybe, maybe it should be my title now. Like, you know there were managers I'm talking about the plan outage who were just like, Wait, you're gonna take this down, mess with the stuff, give me a bunch of extra work. Like I've got, I've got to figure out how to squeeze this stuff in with all my normal goals because, because that might happen. Because right. of maybe, right? Get out of here! You know, you're crazy, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so people think the S, the SREs are crazy too. Yeah. Well, just because you call me crazy, Alan, doesn't mean you get to be an SRE. Like, that, there's more to it than that. <laughs> Wait, that's not what that is? I could have sworn that's how you got the title. Yeah, I'm not even saying that you're not within reason to say that I'm crazy, but, <laughs> you know, there's more to the job than that. That's awesome. Could you imagine if, like, Google wrote a book, like, how to be an SRE? First, call Michael crazy. And, like, I crazy. was specifically called out, and that was the end of the book. End of chapter one. <laughs> Here's the credits. Really? <laughs> Thank you, and here's the copyright date. You've arrived. In a, in a ISBN number. All right, so the last few that we got here, you should be conservative with the SLOs and the SLAs that you make publicly available because otherwise you're setting yourself up for pain, right? This goes back to your buffer, your, yes. S- your SLO buffer. Yep, buffer and also not trying to make it so um, un- right. unsustainably reliable that you can't work on anything else, right? Yeah. That's really what it is. Or take, um, to put it in their terminology, the safety margin. But yeah. So the big thing that they call out here is you want them to be conservative because as soon as you make that stuff public, it's hard to backtrack that, right? Like if you publish your SLOs and your SLAs, then then people are going to hold you to it, right? And and if you slip on that, it's going to be a problem. Um. Uh, so we talked about this earlier. <laughs> they called it out explicitly here in the footnotes of this chapter. SLA is typically misused when talking about an SLO. Basically, if there's an SLA breach, it probably triggers a court case. Unless it's something like these credits from Amazon where they're talking about, hey, we were down, you know, percent, then you're just going to see it back on your bill. Otherwise, if it if it's something big, then you're probably going to see something go to court. Um and then I think Outlaw mentioned this earlier. If you can't win a particular argument or if you need to justify the SLO that you have and, and it's not like really gaining any traction, then it's probably not worth having because you don't want your SRT to work on it. So if, if, if your boss comes by and is like, hey, why is that graph so bad? You're like, ah, take it off, right? Like it doesn't matter. Get rid of it. Yeah, I, I just like uh, – do you remember – have you ever been in an environment where the development team had like literally a stoplight where uh, you could see like, Oh, the builds are green. The builds are red or, you know, I don't know why the green would ever be yellow or why the light would ever be yellow. But um, imagine like your boss's 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 boss, like somebody puts in a commit, you know, and, and it broke the build. And, and so it's red and your boss's 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 boss is like, Hey, why is it red? And you're like, Oh, there's a bug. We're going to fix it. And he's like, Oh my God, the world's on fire. And you're like, do you know how many bugs we fix every day? <laughs> like, I mean, it was definitely like a different world though, too, that I'm kind of thinking of. Cause now like, I can't imagine like not having a PR gate in that would prevent the build from ever getting broken like that, you know, but, Oh, I remember having arguments about that stuff. You remember people were like, ah, oh, it'd be too slow to merge code. And it's like, dude, I don't want you to merge code that's broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for that right now, man. I just need to get this in there and be done with it. And it's like, uh, but you're not done with it. It's broken. 
Yeah, right, but yeah. it's fine for but it's not fine for now because I still need to do my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I like PR gates, even if they had five minutes to an approval. Oh. Well, get ready for an hour. Oh, wait, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> now we go full circle back to my monolithic build complaint. Right. Yeah. All right. Hey, mergeify, mergeify. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, so we'll have some, some links there and the resources we like. Uh, obviously, this book will be in there. There might be a link to the uh, Kubernetes Glacier. You'll probably cry when you see it, and especially when you realize how far you have to scroll to see all of it. And that's okay. Uh, to you, uh, leave a comment. Maybe we'll send you a box of tissues to help you know wipe away the tears. <laughs> Kubernetes, Kubernetes sponsored Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how about how about I ask you this though? How does Darth Vader like his toast? Dark side. Yeah, it's got. You're there on the dark side. Uh, okay. good. All right. Well, with that, we head into, uh, Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. So it's usually my favorite portion of the show, except for when I can't think of anything. Um, <laughs> so this I is, feel you. I, I've actually, I, I've got two. I'll probably type the other one in here in a second. So the first one is, uh, had somebody, we, we kind of forced this person onto a Mac recently. And this is a, you know, 20, 30 plus year user of windows and, and complained like nonstop. Like why did they switch the command and the control button? And I'm like, dude, you got to realize Mac has been around for a long time too. Like they didn't switch it. They didn't just decide that, Oh, we don't like windows and we're going to do this. This is how they've been doing it forever. And you know, it didn't beginning. Yeah, since the beginning. So, you know, whatever. Windows had control. Mac had command and control, which is really confusing. Um, So, and then Windows decided to add a Windows button a few years back. So, whatever. The key is, if you find yourself switching from something like a Windows to a Mac, and you're finding, like, Control-C to be hyper-frustrating, there are... um software drivers that you can download a lot of times for your keyboard for a specific OS. And like in this example, he was able, I think he likes um, Microsoft natural keyboard 4,000. Like he's got a stack of them, right? Well, you can download software for the Mac to basically remap the keys. So the problem is there is a feature in Mac OS to say, Hey, I want to swap um, my command and my control key. But the problem is a lot of the software that you use is, is going to map command C to control or whatever. So even, even though you try and do it at the OS level, your, your software is going to overtake it at some point. So if you do it at the keyboard level, then now you can stick with your control C or whatever, and it'll make your life easier. Right. So highly recommend if you find yourself in that situation and find it very frustrating, go look that up. There's a lot of times Mac software downloads for your keyboards. Just embrace change. That was what I said. I was like, dude, it takes like a week for you to mentally remap your thumb from one key to the other. And, and he wasn't having it. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't know what to do. Um, um, yeah. But I, like, uh, so um, an example of that. So I'm using this Kinesis gaming freestyle keyboard. Right. And one of the annoying things to me, I don't, I don't know why they made this decision. I think it's ridiculous. The The keyboard has a 
uh, an option so that um, you can put it into quote gaming mode. And that way, when you're in like your full screen game and uh, you know, if, if you were to accidentally hit the windows key, it'll just ignore it. Right. It doesn't like pop you out of the game. Right. Cause especially like if you're in like a, a multi-level or sorry, a multiplayer you know, game and you're like in an epic battle, like you're in the fight, right? And you accidentally hit that key, like you don't want to be taken out of it, right? But for this keyboard, they have uh one of the options that you can buy is the the Mac um keys. So you can like swap out the like it it swaps out the size and position of the keys so that it it is more Mac like versus the Windows uh experience, right? Um, so it's not just a reprint of the labels. It's actually changed the different size of the keys as well. And then in the software, you can tell it like, Hey, I'm now I'm using the Mac switches, right? Awesome. For the love of God, I don't know why, but they disable the gaming feature. <laughs> well, cause people don't game on Macs. Come on, man. Uh, that's probably what their <laughs> rationale was yeah. like, Oh, you're only going to use this keyboard on one computer. And I'm like, you know, I mean, like 99% of the time I'm on the Mac, but when I am on my PC, I like to play games. And so, yeah, it's it bothers me that I can't have the Mac keys and have that gaming feature. Well, they got to they gotta figure. If you're trying to go over to the Mac, you're not gaming. And if you're going to go through the trouble of replacing the keys to be on the Mac, then you're not going to be gaming on the Windows machine, right? Like, But that- that's not true <laughs> can we agree point zero zero one percent of the population that buys that keyboard <laughs> yeah there probably is a super small percentage of the population that has it for sure uh for that purpose for that that makes use purpose um yeah. so the the other tip i had was just being when you're doing the implementation of metrics and stuff and i know you guys have seen it they're not all free Right. So what I mean by that is we talked about picking your SLOs in a manner that makes sense, right? Like don't just put a ton of them out there, have a handful of them and make it that way. Well, with metrics, a lot of times when you're adding in metrics, you have a tendency to just start adding them everywhere. And the thing is that stuff is collected by a server, whether it's Prometheus or whether it's InfluxDB or whatever it is that you're using and so you could be adding a ton of data that you don't even realize you're doing, right? So for instance, in in Prometheus, if you have, we were talking about the quantiles earlier. If you have a 95% quantile and a 99% quantile, that's just two, right? Um, but then they're going to be bucketized as well. If you start adding labels to those, every label that you add for a Prometheus metric is essentially a new series. So if you're adding a customer name as a label, if you have a hundred customers then that's a hundred times two that you had previously. Um, if you add a super high cardinality thing, like the size of a request, now you could have a, a million different sizes that come in and that's a million times 100 times two. So the number of metrics that are gathered grow like, just insane amounts. So 
pick and choose the metrics or the SLIs that you're also looking for because it can actually impact the systems that need to gather and serve up those metrics. So, um, you know, just a, a warning for when you're going and adding these things into to your your metrics gathering for your applications. All right. Well, I have a tip for you. So um, have you ever moved browsers and uh, exported your bookmarks and then re-imported them in another browser? Uh, I mean, no, I've never, <laughs> had you know, you can do a problem it. though. Yeah, I know you could do it. Right. I've like, never done yeah, it. You can do it. Yes. Okay. So yeah, you just sign in with Google and it automatically like brings it all over. Yeah. So you can do that. But if you wanted to switch to Firefox or something, then you can export your bookmarks and actually import it because Firefox supports that. Right. So I always knew that was a feature, but I didn't really think too much about it. Well, uh, I have a little script that I use uh, and sometimes at work I have to like switch environments and it switches a bunch of different links, you know, so um, I like to have a script that I use that I run and I type in the environment name and it generates all the links for me, like the website, maybe to logs, you know, stuff like that. And I always think like, wow, wouldn't it be nice if I could like generate these bookmarks on the fly, but sometimes these environments are not common, whatever, but so it'd be nice to be able to either open them all up or just kind of be able to have a temporary bookmark but it's you know it's not cheap it's a pain to add bookmarks right especially if a lot of them so it got me thinking like well you know what maybe i can reuse this format that you use to export and import to generate a bookmarks file and then whenever i'm working on an environment for maybe a couple days i could uh, import this as a new folder and have it around for a couple days and then delete it and i can do that if it's easy and so I looked, and sure enough, the format is dead simple. It's basically an HTML file with just a couple links, and it, it's got a couple, it's got like a weird DT tag. But I found an article that shows uh, how you can use this, and you can easily generate it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to update my script so it generates this HTML file whenever I run it. So I can just kind of uh, go into Chrome and import it, and uh, it's going to be easy. So I never thought about this, but this is actually really nice for like onboarding, for example. So you mentioned like someone new starts the company, you can be like, hey, check it out. Here is the HTML file of bookmarks that you can just import and it'll add. So it's not totally wiping out whatever you've got. It's not like a total import export, but you can add like the 20 common, you know, bookmarks that most people should just probably have for working here. I like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I'll have a link to the, uh, a script that somebody actually put together already too. Uh, so you can see how to do that. I'm also like re- love re- that. really bad though with bookmarks. I mean, I love the idea of the onboarding example. But I'm really bad about bookmarks because like uh, I I am not a heavy user of them. And instead, I'm like, well, I could just easily like re-Google that or go back to like, uh, you know, what the re- the thing was. So I, I rely on search capabilities either through whatever that site or service is or the or, or like, you know, Google if it's public stuff so bad that uh, it's more like. Because then otherwise, like, I'll forget that I have a bookmark for it. You know, do you ever do that? And you're like, oh, I'll just go and like uh, query the wiki for that page rather than realizing like, oh, I already bookmarked the link to that page in the wiki. Yeah, it just uh, like where I get uh, where I stop doing that is with number one, wiki searches are notoriously terrible. But two, um, like logs, if you have a bunch of different environments in a cloudy environment and you're like trying to get this like certain pods or certain like queries that are common, you know, like, Oh, but it's such a pain to like navigate to the right project and <laughs> the right cluster. And then, you know, yeah. the normal kind of filters you add. And so I abuse those. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I do like about this? So I'd never thought about that in terms of onboarding 
if you did it like that, then everybody's bookmarks will be in the same place. So when you're communicating about what page to go to, you can be like, Hey, go Ready. to this bookmark folder and and this bookmark and you're good. Like that's actually really nice for communicating. Yeah. It goes back to uh, w- which book was it where we were talking about like having like a common language, you know, the, the uh, uh, ubiquitous language, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. domain driven design, sir. There you go. Uh, it it kind of like adds to that. Right. Cause then you're like all talking the same thing, you know? Um, all right. So for my tip of the week, we got a remix. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that we had already like uh, called this one out before, but then uh, Jay-Z saw it and he's like, Hey, you realize I've already talked about that. Right. So um, my tip of the week, well, I guess is more of a reminder remix of, of using the power level 10 K uh, theme for Z shell. And the reason why this became a thing for me, why, why, called it out is I forget which theme I was using for Z shell, but I'm working in a, a pretty large repo, not the 20 gig repo that I think Alan mentioned at the start or Joe, I forget which one of you mentioned it, but um, not quite that big, but it's big enough to where like every time I would like execute any command on the command line while in that, um, that repo that, uh, the theme was trying to like also report back, like, you know, get status kind of information, like what branch you're in and it, if the, if it's dirty or not, you know, if there's any changes in it or not fairly simple thing, but like literally it would add a few seconds of time to execute any command. Like even you just do a simple LS and it was so frustrating. And Joe was like, Hey, you should try this other theme and it, that'll, that pain will go away. And sure enough with power level 10 K, I, I no longer have that pain. So I didn't realize that it had already been given away, but uh, as a tip, but yeah, so now you got a re- 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 remix of it. Looks cool too, right? Um, It does do, yeah, it does do a bunch of like cool things that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like questioning like, Oh God, did, did I go overboard with like how, uh, you know, much stuff I have on the command line now available to me? Cause like, <laughs> you know, you see the execution time of everything and uh, you know, the path and the path is all like, you know, color coded, uh, and you know pretty and whatnot in the branch you're on and yeah it's it i really do like it but uh i also might go back and redo my configuration for it but that also like made me question too though there, there was another um we got a comment um i forget how it came in either email or or on the site or whatnot but um someone was talking about like hey you know uh since i'm talking specifically about command line here and <clears throat> this you know, the person who wrote in was saying something along the lines of like, Hey, you know, you guys give so much love to the command line, but like, there's a lot of advantage to knowing tools like a get Kraken or something like get Kraken was specifically the example given in in the comment and everything. But, you know, just like knowing like the UI tools, because like of how much faster you can move around in those tools. And I don't discount that. Right. Um, knowing, knowing UI tools that are available for you is like certainly, you know, you can definitely move faster and that's their whole, that's their whole point. That's their reason for being right. But I was curious from your guys perspective though. Cause like, I, I guess maybe it's just like, you know, career wise, like what kind of things you've had to work in or the luxury of like what you've had to, you've had to do, but I've never found myself being in a situation to where like I can only ever use that tool. Right. Like I find I so many times find myself to where like, 
I need to be able to do things by the command line. Like this is all the access that I'm given to a particular system. And so, you know, I, I guess for me, I like to use the command line as a practice, as a, to keep those skills sharp. Right. So that when I do get into those environments where that's the only thing I have available to me, I'm, uh, I have it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And um, the 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 argument that, I, or maybe that's not even really an argument, but uh, you know, I love K9's UI for using Kubernetes. And one thing that's kind of terminal UI, of, yeah, terminal UI. So it, yeah, it feels like a CLI, but it's not. <laughs> it's kind of a mix of that and VI. But uh, you know, there are definitely times when I want to script something and I realize that like I, I don't have that muscle memory built. But you can go so much faster than cover so much ground, and it kind of teaches you too. So I have mixed opinions. I, you know, I think it's important to know both. And I think it's fine to use a UI if you like it, but yeah. so, so I, I'm, I don't know. I'm torn on it. I 100% agree with what Jay-Z just said. And it's the reason why I do the command line as much as I do is as soon as you want to automate something, that's kind of what you have to do. Right. So that's, that's one thing, but, but I have found myself and I think I mentioned this, I don't know, several episodes back. I have found myself, especially with Git using things that are like built into IntelliJ, right? So yeah, so those are nice. for instance, if I'm, I, I did this with Jay-Z and somebody else recently is I had a fairly large PR that I needed to walk through and looking at that inside GitHub's pull request was useless because there's no context, right? So what I could do is I could go to the UI tools in IntelliJ and say, hey, show me show me the files that change. And it would actually give me a list of all the files on the file system that changed. And I could click the file and it would show me the diffs between both of them on the page. And so I could easily navigate in a way that's easy for people to consume and say, hey, I made this change here because it relates to this over here, right? And this is where it is in the file system. So I can show you that, hey, this was in this module and these changes were made and this is how it relates to this module. So you know, I, I like UI tools and, and I definitely find myself using them, especially when I need to communicate with other people. But I agree, man, like doing things from the command line are ultimately how you end up automating things in a lot of places. So you need that muscle to even know how to go about doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. You know, it's, a, it's, I guess said another way is like, it's good to, to know and use both. There's a time and a place and, you know, like it's if we're it's I don't want to say that we're harping on command line as much as we're like trying to keep that skill sharp. I think you that's know? it for me. So, sure. um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, so subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, you know, Spotify, wherever you like to find your podcasts. Um, in, as Jay-Z tried but failed to say earlier, and I had to go back and correct and make it better, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. That's the way it went down? Yeah. <laughs> um, send your bad reviews to. Wait, send your uh, send your reviews to. Uh, okay, here's some helpful links available at www.codingbox.net slash review.
Hey, and while you're up there at www.cuttingblocks.net, make sure you check out our show notes, which are extensive examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants apparently to Joe Zach at Slack. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, no, and definitely check out our Slack channel. Like there really is just some some awesome people in there, which I have not been in this past week because I've been crazy busy. So yeah, yep. Uh, also, we're on the bird site, Twitter, uh, at CodingBlocks. So if you've got some mean tweets to sling at us, uh, you can do it over there. And uh, we're also CodingBlocks.net. You can find all our social links at the top of the page if you want to hit us up on those dillies. 